0: Hello, welcome to the Watch Jerusalem podcast. I'm Brett Naktagal here in Jerusalem, Israel. Today we're going to be talking about the recent discovery, or let's say the recent authentication, of a seal impression bearing the name of King Jeroboam II. Jeroboam or Yeroboam is known to us from the Bible and multiple passages, multiple prophets were actually sent to this individual. Uh, although there are two Jeroboam's in the Bible, as you probably know. The first of those Jeroboam's was the one that led the northern tribes of Israel in revolt against the house of David, separating and uh, breaking up the united monarchy that was ruled over by David, Solomon, and then his son, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And uh, shortly thereafter, Jeroboam the first broke away and thus beginning a new kingdom. Uh, separate from King David, separate from rule from Jerusalem, as we've talked about quite a lot on this program. Uh, And then you had these northern tribes, which formed the bulk of ancient Israel, would exist going through 19 kings, about that I believe, Uh, numerous dynasties uh, ruling from Shechem as Jeroboam would set up, and then Terza and then Samaria, underneath uh, later kings <clears throat> Jeroboam the second is no relation to Jeroboam the I, although he continued in the ways of his father, Jeroboam, if you like, as all the kings of the northern tribes of Israel did, as the Bible brings out, they continued in their rebellion, both against the House of David, both against and, and Jerusalem as being the religious capital of the nation. And they set up their own religion. They worshipped God in their own way, in ways that God didn't like. Some of them were involved in rank paganism, worshiping foreign gods, and others, such as Jeroboam the second, actually worshipped the God of Israel, but in the wrong way, and it was a counterfeit religion uh, of of true religion uh, back in ancient ancient Israel. And and today we're going to talk about him. Because of this recent uh, authentication of a seal impression bearing his name, the seal impression that bears his name is Shima. It says, belonging to Shima uh, Eved Yeroboam, or belonging to Shima, the servant or the minister of Jeroboam. This seal impression made its way to the antiquities market uh, back in the early 1980s, and it was bought for just 10 shekels, which is an absolute bargain. And because of this low price, uh, the collector didn't necessarily think it was worth, or didn't really think it was probably uh, authentic. However, recent studies, starting about five years ago, of this seal impression have now proven it to be the real deal. This was, in fact, a seal impression, which is basically a signature of the bearer uh, of the seal, so it's the impression that's created from the seal and perhaps it was a uh, a stone seal um, and then it it a lot of the time it's fired to make it very hard this is just a made of made of clay and it is preserved for 2700 2800 years they're saying that this might be actually w- the earliest seal impression with ancient uh, Hebrew writing on it um, because the seal impressions before this time a lot of them just had pictures uh, not necessarily any writing. And yet, once we get to this time uh, around the 8th century, the start of the 8th century uh, BCE, and then on through Jeremiah, all the way through to the captivity of the southern tribes of Judah, you have a lot of these seal impressions coming up. Most of them found in the southern tribes of Judah, uh, southern tribe of Judah. But now we have one of them, at least, there are a few that come from the northern tribes. And it's bearing none other than Jeroboam the name. Now, if you've listened to Watch Jerusalem, if you've been to our website uh, lately, you know a lot about Jeroboam the Perhaps more than more than most biblical scholars. Why? Because Mr. Gerald Flurry, our editor in chief, has ch- talked about how Jeroboam the uh, anciently, is there's a there is a leader. The current president of the United States of America, that is actually leading in a way and is typed by that southern that, that uh that ancient type, that ancient king of the northern tribes of Israel. And if you type into Google and you just type in Jeroboam, there'll be a number of articles that come up. One will be this one by Amanda Dan entitled 2,700 Years Ago Tiny Clay Peace Tiny Clay uh piece Sealed Deal for Bible's King Jeroboam the Second. You'll see see that but then there'll be a whole host of other stories up there about uh, this article that Mr. Mr. Gerald Flurry has written that uses this type or uses the comparison uh, of the ancient Jeroboam and talks about how it indicates that Mr. Trump will actually remain president of the United States of America, even as we speak. Even bar even in even uh, even though you see that the media and everyone else uh, believes that Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States, Mr. Flurry, based on uh, this prophecy, both of the history of this ancient Jeroboam, but of course it's written in the former prophets and they are prophetic to this day. Mr. Flurry has said indicates that President Trump is going to continue, and so we, our focus has been on these passages. Or one passage in particular of the Bible in Second Kings chapter fourteen for some time now, for at least the last four or five years, or at least the last four years, um, because of because of that this history, but also the prophecy of what it means for today. And then lo and behold, you have King Jeroboam the coming back into the focus. And this is, it's interesting because you had this seal impression, and we'll get to, uh, to Amanda Borsaldan's article here in a second, but it, it's, you, you've also had an increase in attention to Jeroboam II because of the theories and the work of Israel Finkelstein from Tel Aviv University as well of late. Why all this attention to Jeroboam II? A, a figure that doesn't really play much into the account in Kings and Chronicles. I'd be surprised if you know much about him. Uh, just as I didn't until I started researching uh, into him and and have uh, been researching and, and proving what Mr. Flurry has written uh, about Jeroboam II and the modern type of him, um, there's not much in the Bible about him, at least from the, the account in Kings and Chronicles. Now, when you understand that the book of Jonah was written most likely during his reign, or it was, And then you have the book of Amos that was written during his reign. And Amos specifically goes to Israel, the northern tribes, during the time of Jeroboam II. And you also have Hosea. Hosea that was written during the time of Jeroboam. That then fills or completes this, the lack of information, let's say, that exists in the book of Kings about this ancient king. So, there is quite a lot to study about Jeroboam second, the ancient type, and it does parallel in many ways uh, what we are seeing uh, in the United States today. And in effect, it's relationship, the United States' relationship with, with Judah, which is the modern state of Israel. Uh, it's It's quite interesting, and of course, I don't believe the timing of this is insignificant. The timing isn't. The Jeroboam uh, seal, impression, or mentioning Jeroboam, it's not his personal seal, it's the seal of his minister, comes along at a very important time when God's focus is actually on this ancient type of Jeroboam and the prophecy of today. So first, this article from Amanda Borschel, Dan, it says this, again, the article is 2,700 years ago, tiny clay piece, piece seal deal for Bible's King Jeroboam II. It's a bit wordy for me. Uh, nevertheless, it uh, Really good, uh, well-written article by Amanda here, uh, as she usually does. It starts out this way. What is arguably the earliest inscribed clay seal impression from the land of Israel used at the court of an of Israelite King Jeroboam II has been authenticated after years of strict laboratory laboratory testing under the supervision of Ben-Gurion University's Professor Yuval Goron. The inscribed clay known as a bulla, so seal impression or bulla, it's the same thing, Uh, was purchased without provenance uh, from a Bedouin antiquities merchant in the 1980s and is now thought to be from Jeroboam II's 8th century BCE reign. And so he has spent, uh, this professor from uh, Ben-Gurion University, has spent a fair whack of time uh, looking over this, and him and other scholars uh, have been looking over this as well. Um, Shmuel Achituv, he's obviously uh, one of the best uh, epigraphers. Uh, he's been looking at this as well, a number of and along with another of other uh, researchers from the IAA Geological Survey and Ben Gurion University, and they've done lots of tests on this, <clears throat> and they have they they can compare uh, all the ones all the seal impressions that have been found in appropriate. Uh, excavations, scientific excavations found in the right layer for uh, for the, the time period that the Buller is purporting to or that the name of the Buller relates to. And so by comparing all those and the, this, the isotopes of the different elements in it and the clay and how it was fired and where the clay came from, the type of clay, they have been able to determine that this is at least, it goes back 2,800, 2,700 years. It's real. It's not a recent forgery at all. Now, there probably was some uh, misgivings or or, uh, there was some deliberation about whether this was an accurate seal impression or a real one, because back in 1904 at excavations in Megiddo, they have found, well, they did find back then an actual seal Bigger than this seal impression, but it's basically identical. Uh, An identical seal, it says, belonging to Shema, the Eved the the servant or the minister of Jeroboam. They found that, and on the way to Istanbul Museum, unfortunately, that seal impression was lost uh, or taken, so that might come up at some point as well. Um, nevertheless, this one looks very close to that, and so we have a, a an actual impression that was taken of the original Jeroboam seal discovered in 1904, uh, and so it, people could have said that this bull or seal impression was just... Uh, well, they know what it should have looked like uh because of that the original seal, and so they recreated something recently. Well, that is not the case this, after going through this series of tests, it has been proven as being authentic. Jeroboam the second was a real historical figure that presided over the northern tribes from around 790 to around 750 BCE. And if you know your history, you know it was just three decades after that, that the northern tribes of Israel went into captivity, Assyrian captivity, and became lost, became lost to history 30 years after Jeroboam II reigned. And you see a lot of the reason of why that was the case, and that is the case, why the Israelites have become lost to history. Um, because of the way that King Jeroboam II ruled along with the other northern tri- northern tribes kings of course, but King Jeroboam II was quite special because God blessed his rule even though he was wicked, even though he claimed it all himself that he was the one doing it is because of his might and his greatness that... Israel could flourish underneath his reign when it was God doing it. It was God doing it. God blessed his reign even though he was a wicked king. That doesn't happen very much. And the Bible talks about why God would do that. Why would the great God bless the reign of a wicked king? Why would he do that? That's what King Jeroboam and this history of of the seal impression, the discovery or the authentication of this seal impression um, that's what we should be thinking about. Uh, go back to the actual history of what happened under Jeroboam II's reign. We're not just about at what Jerusalem proving the Bible true, proving the Bible accurate, true, proving that it has accurate history, because the Bible is so much more than that, as you know. The Bible is uh, history and prophecy and especially if you're reading the former prophets, if you're reading the books of Samuel, if you're reading the books of Kings, if you're reading the 12 last prophets, of course, as Hosea and Amos make up, you know that it is both history and also prophecy. And mainly that prophecy is for today. If you look at the book of Hosea that was written during the time of Jeroboam II, you know it's for today because it talks about it talks about Israel and Judah going into captivity at the same time. Did that happen anciently? It didn't. So either the prophet's wrong, Hosea was wrong, or it has a modern-day type. Or they are for today. They're prophecies for today. And so Jeroboam II is coming into focus, as as I've I've been saying. And as you know, if you've read any of these articles, uh, that Mr. Gerald Flurry has been writing of late, about what's going on in the United States. And as we'll see today, there is a relationship uh, with the nation of Judah um, and anciently, and also that is the way today. Why is it? Why is it that the presidency of Mr. Donald Trump has been the most favorable administration United States history to the Jewish state? How is that? Why is that? You could say it's all because he's pandering to his evangelical base and he wants that vote. and so he's going to support uh, he's going to support the Jewish state so he can get all the evangelicals because they're the key to him retaining the White House and just retaining his rule. You could say that. Um, but if you look back during to during the time of Jeroboam II, you do have a close relationship with Israel and Judah, Israel being the northern tribes again. And Judah, uh, being the southern tribes, ruled from Jerusalem. Ruled with King Uzziah through, was the king that was um, uh, in in power from the house of David for most of Jeroboam the second's reign. So there is a connection both of what's happening today and what happened anciently during the reign of Jeroboam the second. I also think it's interesting that right now, or at least over the past uh, couple of years, there has been a very prominent archaeologist historian from Tel Aviv University that has been glorifying the reign of Jeroboam II. (laughs) And and even going to extreme lengths is to say that King David, although he might have been a person, although he might have ruled, certainly not, didn't didn't rule, neither did his son Solomon, as the Bible describes him with all this glorious territory and all this glorious uh, wealth. Prosperity. That didn't happen. What actually happened, according to this uh, prominent Tel Aviv University professor, is that the Judean authors of the Bible that were writing after Jeroboam second's time, 100 years after, according to him, they actually saw the glorious united monarchy, as he would see it, of Jeroboam II, and they put that recent memory or at least of the past 100 years, back on the founder of the Judean kingdom, King David. He was of the tribe of Judah. And so the what you have in the Bible is a fantasy, and at least in, ter- in terms of David and Solomon. That's a fantastical story. It didn't happen. What it really is is describing is how Jeroboam II ruled, how Jeroboam II reigned. It wasn't about David. David was a nothing. It was all about Jeroboam the Second, and the Jews, when they were writing in the sixth century or the seventh century around King Josiah's time, they took that history of Jeroboam the second, they made it their own and said, what Jeroboam the second actually did, well, actually, that was King David. King David did that, and so if you've seen this documentary, uh this was on uh, Khan eleven here. Uh, in, in Hebrew, recently in, here in Israel, it's, it's entitled Ark of the Covenant, the Bible's Origins or Following the Ark of the Covenant. Um, this was a, a big documentary about following the excavations of Kiryat Yerim or Kirjath Yerim and the excavations of Israel Finkelstein and him saying that they found this massive shrine or this massive podium uh, it is huge. <laughs> it's absolutely massive. And it dates to around Jeroboam the second time. So Jeroboam built this. What is Jeroboam doing building this massive shrine at Kirjath Um, Because obviously, what's what this the claim to fame here of Kirjath Jerim is the fact that the ark was there. And so this story has been put back on David when really Kir- Kirjath Jerim didn't really exist as a major place until the time of Jeroboam the second. And so this and another a bunch of other reasons has him saying that King David wasn't really King David and he used to say that King David the united monarchy never existed but now he doesn't say that King David uh, Finkelstein says Professor Finkelstein says King uh, the united monarchy did exist but existed under Jeroboam II not under King David. And so while that is a fantastical uh, reinterpretation of uh, interpretation of history, and I would say archaeology also. I think it's pretty amazing that again, this relatively obscure king from the northern tribes of Israel is getting a lot of face time. King Jeroboam the ten years ago nobody was talking about. This past week and over the past month, there's been numerous stories in Haaretz Times of Israel. A massive documentary on one of the major broadcasters here in Israel, all about Jeroboam the second. Why is that? Why is that? I think God is is uh, leading, leading all of us to understand more about Jeroboam the second, because his reign, uh, anciently, is typed, or at least there is a modern fulfillment of that ancient reign, and it's taking place right now. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to discuss more of the historical Jeroboam II. This is Watch Jerusalem on kpcg.fm. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We are talking about King Jeroboam II. In the first half, we talked about the seal impression, bearing his name, being proven as being authentic. And what we're going to do now is actually go to the biblical passages, or at least some of them, uh, that relate to Jeroboam II. Now, in terms of the historical context, again, we're talking about the northern tribes of Israel, uh, ruled from ruled from Samaria at this time. Uh, Jeroboam II was the longest reigning king of the northern tribes of Israel, ruling for about forty forty years or so. And again, he ruled from around seven ninety to seven fifty. We'll just throw those dates round figures for you. <clears throat> and this again is the um, is the period the Bible describes of Absolute massive prosperity and expansion of the territory of the northern tribes, and in conjunction with the southern tribe of Judah as well, there was actually a close relationship between the two, as borne out by as borne out by biblical biblical passages. We'll cover, um, and so this, if you want to talk about just the general theme of Jeroboam the second's reign, it really was a resurgence. In ancient Israel, if you go to thirty years before Jeroboam came along, you had Israel that was extremely uh, uh, being burdened down or punished. Uh, land was taken away from them by the Syrians ruling from Damascus. The Arameans uh, they came in and they actually they they took. They took over the territories of where the tribe of Reuben was, where the tribe of Gad was, East Manasseh, everything onto the eastern side of the Jordan Jordan River. All that territory belonged to the Arameans. They were fighting against the, the northern tribes of Israel. They even came down and, and fought. Uh, they even took over the territory all along the coastal plain, plain of Sharon, going down to Philistine territories, and really did hem in both Israel and Judah. That's what life was like. Before Jeroboam came along, they lost control of the two main. Uh, roadways, the two main trade routes, the Via Maris, which was going along the coastline of the Mediterranean, that would either go up towards, or would go up towards Megiddo and then peel off towards the Plain of Asher, where the Phine- up towards Phoenician territory, or would would continue over to Chatzor and then and then over to Damascus if you wanted to travel to Mesopotamia. That's the Via Maris. The King's Highway is on the other side of the of the Jordan. Jordan River, that's the main thoroughfare that goes from all the way down to the bottom, the Gulf of Aqaba, where the modern-day city of Elat is, and goes all the way to Damascus that way. And so Israel, at certain times of their history, controlled both of those roadways. They controlled them during the time of end of David's reign into Solomon's reign. They controlled those territories during the time of King Jehoshaphat and also uh, Ahab, and they controlled those territories during the time of Jeroboam II. That's what the Bible brings out, along with Uzziah in the south. And so, this, and because they controlled these roadways, they were able to be flushed with cash in a way that was absolutely uh, surprising compared to what was there just the decades prior, if we're talking about Jeroboam's reign. Um, prior to Jeroboam coming along. Now, why did they do that? As I said at the start, why did that happen? As I said before, in the first half, Jeroboam was a wicked king. Why is he being blessed? By this massive expansion in territory, control over the trade routes, and although they didn't go and settle all these areas towards the north, they did receive tribute, they did receive taxation, they did receive uh, fares, well, not fares, but uh, tolls, Along these roadways, they did receive tribute through the through from some of these peoples that they were controlling uh Why did that happen? Why did that happen? The Bible brings this out why it happened, and it's incredibly important to realize this fact, especially comparing with what's going on today Now, I will say fundamental to the understanding that President Trump does fulfill a type of Jeroboam the second is the understanding that the United States and Great Britain, actually, is the modern-day tribes of, or makes up the modern-day tribes of Israel, particular Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim, Manasseh, the two birthright tribes. First uh, Chronicles 5, verse 2 talks about the birthright was going to go to the sons of Joseph. They were going to receive the birthright that was going to be passed down from, uh, that the, that was promised to Abraham. They were going to receive it. It was never received anciently, the the full uh, version of the birthright promises. They were never given to ancient Israel. You can see that through the pages of your Bible. It was something yet to happen, yet to happen in the future. And it was go- going to go to Ephraim Manasseh. That's what Genesis chapter 48 brings out. When, when Jacob's there and he's crossing his hands between Ephraim and Manasseh and he says, oh, you've got it wrong. Joseph says, you've got it wrong. My, you've got the wrong son. Manasseh, put your right hand on his head. He's the one. He's my oldest. He's going to receive the greatest blessing. And Jacob says, I, I know it. I know it, my son. But no, uh, Ephraim is going to be greater. He's going to be a company of nations. A company of nations? Ephraim's going to be a company of nations? And Manasseh, what does it say about him? That he shall also be great? one great nation, and one company of nations. Did that happen in ancient Israel? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. And that was the prophecy that was to go, of the birthright, the, 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 uh, the prosperous physical blessings that were going to be bestowed upon Israel. They were, particular, in particular, going to go to Ephraim and Manasseh. And that happened. That has happened. That has happened over the past 200 years. When these this this Commonwealth British Commonwealth um, did receive amazing blessings starting around the year 1800 and the United States as well and those blessings have been taken away coming forward to our time, although the Commonwealth is still quite powerful and the United States is still the most powerful nation on the on the planet, it's nothing the whole the control that they have or well, let's say at least until Jeroboam comes around, which is President, this President Trump, as we're applying him to, uh, the ancient type to today, um, it was a kingdom, uh, a peoples in decline, for sure. Um, but then, uh, as I was saying, this understanding that the United States and Great Britain do form the birthright tribes of ancient Israel part of the Lost Ten Tribes, where they went to becoming nations so that prophecies such as found in the book of Hosea and Amos can actually happen. Otherwise, how else are they happening? How else are they happening? Because Judah's mentioned in there as well. So it's obviously a distinct prophecy about distinct nations. You need to understand this. This is the key to understanding biblical prophecy of our time. And the book that is going to explain that to you is The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong. This is a book that has been read by, or requested at least, by over 6 million people. It's an incredibly popular book. It's the most popular book ever written uh, in terms of r- readers on the, uh, the bestowal of the birthright promises and the Lost Ten Tribes studies. Um, so you'd do well to read that. And if you do, if you read it with an open mind, uh, I think you'll see that your Bible is a book for today. Your Bible is a book for right now. So that understanding is critical to all of this. And if you don't haven't proved that for yourself, I'd advise you to go ahead and prove it. Nothing could be more critical to your understanding that we live in biblical times to this day, and that Jeroboam II, there is a type of him on the planet today. That again is fundamental understanding. You can just write a letter, uh, an email to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il with your address, and I'll send that book to, you, or we'll send that book to you for free. We're not trying to get any money from anyone. Watch Jerusalem does not ever ask for any money from anyone, uh, but we will send you that book for free so that you can prove it for yourself. So let's go now to Second Kings chapter fourteen. Now that that that. Uh, uh, is out of the way talking about who modern day Israel is. Second Kings chapter fourteen verses uh, from verses I think twenty one onwards is what twenty two onwards is what I want to read, and this is the only portion in the Bible that talks about Jeroboam the second's reign in chronological in the order uh, of going through the different kings in at least at least a chronological order. It says this. We're going to read through all of it so you get the clear picture. I'm going to start talking about who was reigning down in Judah at the time. And all the people this is from the Jerusalem Publication Society version or Jew, Jew sorry Jewish Publication Society. And all the people of Judah took Azariah who was Uzziah who was 16 years old and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah and he built a lot same place it is today and restored it to Judah. After that uh the king slept with his father. So this you can read um, the passage in Chronicles, and, and it goes into Uzziah and how he was a powerful figure. He too was the longest-serving monarch in Judean history. In the history of Judah, he was the longest king, I think. Longest or second longest, let's put it that way. Ruled for a very long time. He was an expert in uh, creating, devising weapons of warfare. His kingdom of Judah at the time, were, were they were experts at making the desert bloom. They were into husbandry, animal husbandry, horticulture, in a tremendous way. And then you have, in the northern kingdom, you have now Jeroboam II. Verse 23, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign, or Jehoash, he could be called, his father, began to reign in Samaria which was the capital city of the northern tribes, and reigned forty and one years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the eternal. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, wherewith he made Israel to sin. But look what happened. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath. This is the English version, Lebo Hamath, is what it would say in Hebrew, unto the sea of the Aravah, according to the word of Amittai the prophet, who was of Gath-Hefer, Gatz Gatshefer, so this is none other than Jonah that would be sent, that would write the book of Jonah, that is going to be sent to the Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrians. Soon after, he gives this prophecy of, of uh, Jeroboam II. Uh, he would go and fulfill that mission. But notice that there was a prophet on the scene that prophesied that under Jeroboam II, Israel's borders would be restored. Restored. There would be a restoration, and what would that restoration be? It would be from the entrance of Hamath, or Lebo Hamath, onto the Sea of the Arava, the Dead Sea. And Lebo Hamath is basically a city that exists, or a town that exists about 70 kilometers north of Damascus. However, the Bible, when it uses this term, Lebo Hamath, it uses it in the Book of Judges, it uses in the Book of Numbers a number of times, it uses in the Book of Kings during Solomon's reign. It's talking about the furthest expanse, of of the kingdom of Israel, the area of control. And it applies that same area of control that it does to Solomon, that it did to Solomon, it applies it also to Jeroboam the second. Of course it does. That's what Finkelstein says. That Jeroboam that Solomon was just a copy of Jeroboam the Second. So thank you very much, Israel Finkelstein, for for proving this point for me. That the kingdom of Israel underneath the reign of uh, of Jeroboam II was massive, huge, restored. And God did it. Why did he do it? It was prophesied it would happen under from Jonah, and then it happened. But notice why. It says here, verse 26, For the Eternal saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was none shut up nor left at large, neither was there any helper for Israel. There was no help for Israel. Israel was in a horrible mess. Territory was gone. They were suffering. Famine was around. And God pitied Israel. And the Lord said, verse 27, that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. But he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam the second the son of Joash so there was a saving that took place before Jeroboam came around it looked pretty bad for Israel it looked like they might have been finished and Jeroboam II comes around and God saves Israel underneath his reign and this is proven this is proven from archaeology that underneath Jeroboam the second's reign you had a massive increase in in the wealth, now this wealth necessarily wasn't necessarily shared to everybody, uh, as as you can see from different sites. Um, however, there was building projects that took place during his reign, particularly of the cultic sites, the religious sites. Tel Dan, which was in the north of Israel, is in the north of Israel. This is a place that Jeroboam the set up one of his two golden calves. You'll remember that he set up one in Dan in the north and Bethel in the very south, and wanted. Everyone to worship Yahweh or the God that they worshipped down in Judah uh at Jerusalem in the temple, but now you didn't have to go to Jerusalem to do that. you could worship him our way with our feast days we which Jeroboam the did jeroboam uh the first did right he changed the feast in the seventh month it says there in the book of Kings, I think chapter twelve, chapter twelve or thirteen, and he made it in the eighth month like the feast unto the one that took place in Judah. It was a counterfeit, counterfeit religion, counterfeit of what was happening in Judah is what Jeroboam I set up, and he did it in Dan, and he did it in Bethel. And if you look at Tel Dan today, or the ancient remains of Tel Dan as the excavator there has brought out, uh, it experienced its greatest building and and resurgence, well, let's say its greatest period of construction, uh, during these, during the three hundred years or so, or actually more than that, that Israel controlled this this area on and off. Underneath Jeroboam the second's reign, new cultic sites were set up. Refurbishment of the cultic site that Jeroboam set up at this time as well. How did they do that? How did the money come into the pockets of Jeroboam that his policy was going to be to increase the funding? increased construction around the cultic or religious sites. This was state-funded religion under Jeroboam's time. Now, that happened in Judah as well, but it was state-funded false religion under <laughs> in the northern kingdom of Israel. And that's why you see massive growth of Tel Dan at this time, during Jeroboam II's time. But notice that God did this because he wanted to give the northern tribes of Israel, one last chance to repent and turn back to Him. This, these were His people. I mean, they hadn't had they had a pretty bad job uh, of getting good kings. They didn't have one. Didn't have one king that would turn them back to God. You had occasionally kings that would uh, beseech God and pray for mercy, uh, and God would deliver it time and time again. Actually, even though they didn't follow it up with righteous actions, and um, well, they didn't. But here you have Jeroboam second coming around and God wanting to give Israel one last experience of blessings to hopefully turn them to him, to back, to, back to God. But of course, that's not what's, what happens. This is verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did in his might and how he warred and how he recovered Damascus and Hamath for Judah and Israel, are they not written? In the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, so this was a king that recovered control over Damascus across the other side. Uh, uh, well, up on the other, up and up past the Golan Heights there, on the plateau, Damascus was recovered. Hamath was recovered. Now this is the territory that borders the Euphrates all the way in the north, and so this was again massive, a massive land grab. Now this this scripture. Here, which talks about, and he recovered Damascus and Hamath for Judah in Israel, baffles everybody. And it is a baffling uh, scripture. It's a baffling verse. Um, but what it does indicate, the fact that Judah is mentioned here, I don't think somebody was, some scribe made a mistake. I think it does indicate that there was a close relationship between Israel and Judah at the time of Jeroboam II. And perhaps they shared some of the spoils. Uh, Jerob, uh, Judah and, e- and Israel did of these victorious campaigns of Jeroboam the second, recovering these lost territories. Now, this is all that the Bible says in terms of the chronological ca- account of the kings. You read the Book of Chronicles, and there's one scripture that mentions Jeroboam the second, and it mentions a uh, like a census that was taken. Or uh, some type of numbering of of the of the people of the territories um, during the time of of uh, Uzziah's son and Jeroboam the second that's what's mentioned there, and so again it indicates that there is a close relationship between the two and that 's what you see that 's what you see time and time again that if one of the no- if the one of the kingdoms is going to flourish. There is going to be a close relationship. If it's the northern kingdom is going to flourish, it's, it's going to be in partnership, or at least the southern kingdom of Israel is not going to be attacking it. They are going to accept each other um, and work together in some ways. And this is what happened during Jeroboam second's rule, and it's something that we see taking place again today. Now, historians will look at this Period of, of Jeroboam the second, and until Israel Finkelstein comes along, comes along and actually confirms, or at least lends lends credibility to what the Bible says about how big the <laughs> Jeroboam the kingdom's uh, Jeroboam the second's kingdom was, you didn't have many people that believed that the Bible is accurate. No, surely not. Jeroboam the second ruling over this territory, the same territory that Solomon did, or close to it. Impossible. No way. And so they write, they they write and they research and they they find ways around of saying that the Bible actually doesn't say that, when the Bible is pretty clear. Now, what's interesting at this time, if you look at the archaeological record and historical record, there aren't any strong leaders. In fact, I don't know if there's one that that are ruling from Damascus, uh, which is the Aramean kingdom, which had subjugated the Israelites. In the years previous, up to Jeroboam's reign, uh, for the years from around 775, I think, till you get to is it resin? from around 7 uh, 750 around there. So these last 20 years of Jeroboam's the, Jeroboam's reign, there is no ruler in Damascus known to history, and so somebody ruled it. Who was it? Well, the Bible says Jeroboam ruled it, and that does match with what's found in other historical other historical records. I do want to quote from Todd Bolin here. Um, he, he, I think it was his PhD or his, uh, um, I think it was his PhD that he wrote on Jeroboam II. And I, I think it is, it's absolutely, it's really, really good. Um, you can find it online. I'll leave a link to it. It's um, it's really good. And it goes through the historical account, go biblical account. It goes through what other scholars have said about Jeroboam II's reign. And then it goes into, he obviously gives his uh, uh, opinion based on a lot of facts, and 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 he does follow the Bible quite closely, and he definitely believes the Bible should be uh, proven or at least uh, proven innocent. Uh, should be treated as being innocent until proven guilty I should say. He wrote this, "The declaration of Jeroboam's recovery is best understood in, in terms in reference to the time of the united monarchy," meaning that Jeroboam was simply able to reassert his power over Damascus and Hamath in the north as David and Solomon had done. The biblical parallel seems to be what the author had in mind, and there's no evidence, biblical or otherwise, to reject such a conclusion. We there's no there's no one that's claiming The Assyrians aren't claiming it, that anyone Aramean king's not claiming it, that they ruled over the territories that the Bible says Jeroboam II did. Those who reject, continuing with Bolin, those who reject out of hand any possibility of Israelite domination over Damascus and Hamath disregard the integrity of the biblical account. The theological purposes of the biblical writers do not preclude careful, accurate historical narrative though the writer of kings naturally selected material that enforced the divine perspective. However, it's not tenable to suggest that grand claims made for Jeroboam are merely editorial glosses. It would not fit the theological purpose of the writers to glorify a clearly wicked king. You wouldn't do it, right? You're trying to encourage everybody to be righteous. So why are you going to include, if it's false, this unrighteous wicked king that experiences this massive resurgence, massive territorial domination. You just wouldn't do it if you were just making up a story. That wouldn't be good for your theological purposes. But it is included in the Bible. The inclusion of the prophetic voice, however, makes it clear that such achievement was owing to the grace of the Lord rather than to any merit on Jeroboam's part. Jeroboam was not the new David, which I think is just really interesting (laughs) that he puts that in there, nor was he the Messiah, yet the Lord allowed him to regain the territories of the former and future periods of glory. So again, I'm just trying to prove that the ancient Jeroboam did experience uh, massive territorial uh, expansion because God wanted to not blot out Not blot out the kingdom of Israel. It wasn't time yet. He was merciful. And that's real history. That's real history. The seal impression proves that Jeroboam was a real man. And then you have the biblical account, the construction going along, going around in in many places in the northern kingdom during Jeroboam's reign. You have the vacuum created by Assyrian weakness at this point. Assyria, of course, is going to be the nation. The rod of God's anger, Isaiah would call him in chapter 10, that's going to come and take the northern tribes into captivity. Right after Jeroboam II died, it would start. Yes, that final captivity of the northern tribes of Israel wouldn't take place to 30 years after Jeroboam stopped ruling. However, I mean, if you you look at the, the account, and it was only a few years later that the Assyrian king, Tiglap the III, or Paul as he's known also, came down and demanded tribute from, uh, was it Menachem, king of Israel. It was on a downhill slope. No prophets were then sent to the northern tribes of Israel once Jeroboam II died. There were prophets that were sent, Amos, Hosea, Jonah, sent to during Jeroboam's rule. And what did they say? Well, the Bible, obviously, the the passages, we don't have time to go through them all today. But I will read one passage of what they said um, to this uh, northern king, Jeroboam. It's really interesting. If you go to this this passage in Jeroboam chapter 5, Jeroboam chapter 5, because you had, remember, you have, during this period, massive influx of money, huge prosperity, because of the increased territorial holding. But it was by God's grace, and that's why God wanted to give them a chance to repent and change and turn to him and acknowledge him as giving them. But that's not what they did. Actually, we'll read two two verses. The first one is Amos, uh, chapter chapter 6. Notice this, verse 13 and 14. You shall rejoice. This is the King James, but... but um, it gets to the point. You shall rejoice in a thing of naught, which say, "Have we not taken us horns by our own strength?" And that's a very bad translation. What it should be saying is, "You you rejoice in uh, the taking of Lodabar or Lodavar, a place that was in Syrian territory, which means basically nothing." And then, ha- and then you say, "Have we not taken Karnaim, which means horns, but it's actually a place over in Syria?" By our own strength. We've been doing all this. We've expanded our territory. We're not acknowledging God in this. Amos is condemning them. Instead, they say that they've done it. They've expanded the territory by their own strength, which is obviously not the case. First 14, But behold, I'll raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, says the eternal God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from where? from the entering in of Hamath, Lebo-Hamath, to the river of the wilderness. Again, same territory that's mentioned in the book of Kings. They're going to afflict you through all this territory. And it's talking about the Assyrians. But notice here just one more passage. <clears throat> one more passage here. Um, these, If you look through the book of Amos, they were religious people. They were heavily involved in the religion of the day. And they were so comfortable and confident in their religion that they actually were welcoming the day of the Lord, which was the day of destruction, because they thought that they would be protected from it. They thought they were doing what they should be doing. Notice this. It says, verse 18 of chapter 5, Woe unto you that desire the day of the eternal. To what end is it for you? Why would you desire that, Amos says? Don't you know if you continue along this way, You're going to be included in it? Don't you know if you don't change, even though you've got all this prosperity, God's not blessing you because of your acts, what you think is a righteous act. And they were going to Dan. They were going to Beersheba even in the south. They were going to Bethel. They had all these offerings that they were giving to God. And God didn't acknowledge them because they didn't change their hearts. It was false worship. It was false worship that they thought was right. I hate, verse 21, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Take away from me the noise. Take away from me the noise. And so, what you see, and we won't go through all the passages in Amos, we don't have time, is that through the book of Amos and Hosea, you see a God reaching out through these prophets to the nations of Israel that were claiming the blessings as their own, or at least God was blessing them because of their own actions. They thought it was because they were being righteous. They mistook God's mercy and the saving of Israel by the hand of Jeroboam as something that they deserved, but they didn't deserve it. And God was just being merciful, reaching out for them one final time. And we don't have time to go into it today, but once Jeroboam de- died, it was a series of decades before Israel, the northern tribes would become and go into captivity and become lost to history, at least at least, as I said, until our time today, they're not lost anymore, and you can prove exactly where they are today. But there is a Jeroboam type on the scene today, and you can learn about him, and you can learn about what he's doing by reading this article by our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, about King Jeroboam and why Donald Trump is going to continue as the United States president in the, as the United States president I'll leave a link to that article in the show notes for you of today's program. Thanks very much for listening today and I'll talk to you next week.